This is the Cyber Defense Coach audiobook podcast presenting NIST Special Publication 800-171 Revision 2 by Ron Ross, Victoria Politeri, Kelly Dempsey, Mark Riddle, and Gary Juzini. Part 4 of 6. This title is edited and abridged to aid in audio understanding. Appendices have been removed and some areas have been shortened. NIST Special Publication 800-171 Revision 2, Part 4, 3.3, Audit and Accountability, Basic Security Requirements, 3.3.1, Create and Retain System Audit Logs and Records to the extent needed to enable the monitoring, analysis, investigation, and reporting of unlawful or unauthorized system activity. Discussion an event is any observable occurrence in a system which includes unlawful or unauthorized system activity. Organizations identify event types for which a logging functionality is needed as those events which are significant and relevant to the security of systems and the environments in which those systems operate to meet specific and ongoing auditing needs. Event types can include password changes, failed logons or failed accesses related to systems, administrative privilege usage, or third-party credential usage. In determining event types that require logging, organizations consider the monitoring and auditing appropriate for each of the CUI security requirements. Monitoring and auditing requirements can be balanced with other system needs. For example, organizations may determine that systems must have the capability to log every file access both successful and unsuccessful, but not activate that capability except for specific circumstances due to the potential burden on system performance. Audit records can be generated at various levels of abstraction, including at the packet level as information traverses the network. Selecting the appropriate level of abstraction is a critical aspect of an audit logging capability and can facilitate the identification of root causes to problems. Organizations consider, in the definition of event types, the logging necessary to cover related events such as the steps in distributed, transaction-based processes, example, processes that are distributed across multiple organizations, and actions that occur in service-oriented or cloud-based architectures. Audit record content that may be necessary to satisfy this requirement includes timestamps, source and destination addresses, user or process identifiers, event descriptions, success or fail indications, file names involved, and access control or flow control rules invoked. Event outcomes can include indicators of event success or failure and event-specific results, example, the security state of the system after the event occurred. Detailed information that organizations may consider in audit records includes full-text recording of privileged commands or the individual identities of group account users. Organizations consider limiting the additional audit log information to only that information explicitly needed for specific audit requirements. This facilitates the use of audit trails and audit logs by not including information that could potentially be misleading or could make it more difficult to locate information of interest. Audit logs are reviewed and analyzed as often as needed to provide important information to organizations to facilitate risk-based decision-making. SP 892 provides guidance on security log management. 3.3.2 Ensure that the actions of individual system users can be uniquely traced to those users, so they can be held accountable for their actions. Discussion this requirement ensures that the contents of the audit record include the information needed to link the audit event to the actions of an individual to the extent feasible. 
Organizations consider logging for traceability including results from monitoring of account usage, remote access, wireless connectivity, mobile device connection, communications at system boundaries, configuration settings, physical access, non-local maintenance, use of maintenance tools, temperature and humidity, equipment delivery and removal, system component inventory, use of mobile code, and use of voice over internet protocol, VoIP. Derived security requirements. 3.3.3, review and update logged events. Discussion. The intent of this requirement is to periodically reevaluate which logged events will continue to be included in the list of events to be logged. The event types that are logged by organizations may change over time. Reviewing and updating the set of logged event types periodically is necessary to ensure that the current set remains necessary and sufficient. 3.3.4, alert in the event of an audit logging process failure. Discussion. Audit logging process failures include software and hardware errors, failures in the audit record capturing mechanisms, and audit record storage capacity being reached or exceeded. This requirement applies to each audit record data storage repository, i.e., distinct system component where audit records are stored, the total audit record storage capacity of organizations, i.e., all audit record data storage repositories combined, or both. 3.3.5, correlate audit record review, analysis, and reporting processes for investigation and response to indications of unlawful, unauthorized, suspicious, or unusual activity. Discussion. Correlating audit record review, analysis, and reporting processes helps to ensure that they do not operate independently, but rather collectively. Regarding the assessment of a given organizational system, the requirement is agnostic as to whether this correlation is applied at the system level or at the organization level across all systems. 3.3.6 Provide audit record reduction and report generation to support on-demand analysis and reporting. Discussion Audit record reduction is a process that manipulates collected audit information and organizes such information in a summary format that is more meaningful to analysts. Audit record reduction and report generation capabilities do not always emanate from the same system or organizational entities conducting auditing activities. Audit record reduction capability can include, for example, modern data mining techniques with advanced data filters to identify anomalous behavior in audit records. The report generation capability provided by the system can help generate customizable reports. Time ordering of audit records can be a significant issue if the granularity of the timestamp in the record is insufficient. 3.3.7 Provide a system capability that compares and synchronizes internal system clocks with an authoritative source to generate timestamps for audit records. Discussion Internal system clocks are used to generate timestamps, which include date and time. Time is expressed in Coordinated Universal Time, UTC, a modern continuation of Greenwich Mean Time, GMT, or local time with an offset from UTC. The granularity of time measurements refers to the degree of synchronization between system clocks and reference clocks, for example, clocks synchronizing within hundreds of milliseconds or within tens of milliseconds. Organizations may define different time granularities for different system components. Time service can also be critical to other security capabilities such as access control and identification and authentication, depending on the nature of the mechanisms used to support those capabilities. 
This requirement provides uniformity of timestamps for systems with multiple system clocks and systems connected over a network. C. IETF 5905 3.3.8 Protect audit information and audit logging tools from unauthorized access, modification, and deletion. Discussion Audit information includes all information, example audit records, audit log settings, and audit reports needed to successfully audit system activity. Audit logging tools are those programs and devices used to conduct audit and logging activities. This requirement focuses on the technical protection of audit information and limits the ability to access and execute audit logging tools to authorized individuals. Physical protection of audit information is addressed by media protection and physical and environmental protection requirements. 3.3.9 Limit management of audit logging functionality to a subset of privileged users. Discussion Individuals with privileged access to a system and who are also the subject of an audit by that system may affect the reliability of audit information by inhibiting audit logging activities or modifying audit records. This requirement specifies that privileged access be further defined between audit-related privileges and other privileges, thus limiting the users with audit-related privileges. 3.4. Configuration Management Basic Security Requirements 3.4.1 Establish and maintain baseline configurations and inventories of organizational systems, including hardware, software, firmware, and documentation, throughout the respective system development life cycles. Discussion Baseline configurations are documented, formally reviewed, and agreed upon specifications for systems or configuration items within those systems. Baseline configurations serve as a basis for future builds, releases, and changes to systems. Baseline configurations include information about system components, example, standard software packages installed on workstations, notebook computers, servers, network components, or mobile devices, current version numbers and update and patch information on operating systems and applications, and configuration settings and parameters, network topology, and the logical placement of those components within the system architecture. Baseline configurations of systems also reflect the current enterprise architecture. Maintaining effective baseline configurations requires creating new baselines as organizational systems change over time. Baseline configuration maintenance includes reviewing and updating the baseline configuration when changes are made based on security risks and deviations from the established baseline configuration. Organizations can implement centralized system component inventories that include components from multiple organizational systems. In such situations, organizations ensure that the resulting inventories include system-specific information required for proper component accountability, example, system association, system owner. Information deemed necessary for effective accountability of system components includes hardware inventory specifications, software license information, software version numbers, component owners, and for networked components or devices, machine names and network addresses. Inventory specifications include manufacturer, device type, model, serial number, and physical location. SP-800-128 provides guidance on security-focused configuration management. 3.4.2 Establish and enforce security configuration settings for information technology products employed in organizational systems. Discussion 
Configuration settings are the set of parameters that can be changed in hardware, software, or firmware components of the system that affect the security posture or functionality of the system. Information technology products for which security-related configuration settings can be defined include mainframe computers, servers, workstations, input and output devices, example, scanners, copiers, and printers, network components, example, firewalls, routers, gateways, voice and data switches, wireless access points, network appliances, sensors, operating systems, middleware, and applications. Security parameters are those parameters impacting the security state of systems including the parameters required to satisfy other security requirements. Security parameters include registry settings, account, file, directory permission settings, and settings for functions, ports, protocols, and remote connections. Organizations establish organization-wide configuration settings and subsequently derive specific configuration settings for systems. The established settings become part of the system's configuration baseline. Common secure configurations, also referred to as security configuration checklists, lockdown and hardening guides, security reference guides, security technical implementation guides, provide recognized, standardized, and established benchmarks that stipulate secure configuration settings for specific information technology platforms slash products and instructions for configuring those system components to meet operational requirements. Common secure configurations can be developed by a variety of organizations including information technology product developers, manufacturers, vendors, consortia, academia, industry, federal agencies, and other organizations in the public and private sectors. SP-870 and SP-800-128 provide guidance on security configuration settings. Derived Security Requirements 3.4.3 Track, Review, Approve or Disapprove, and Log Changes to Organizational Systems Discussion Tracking, Reviewing, Approving slash Disapproving, and Logging Changes is called Configuration Change Control. Configuration change control for organizational systems involves the systematic proposal, justification, implementation, testing, review, and disposition of changes to the systems, including system upgrades and modifications. Configuration change control includes changes to baseline configurations for components and configuration items of systems, changes to configuration settings for information technology products, example, operating systems, applications, firewalls, routers, and mobile devices, unscheduled and unauthorized changes, and changes to remediate vulnerabilities. Processes for managing configuration changes to systems include configuration control boards or change advisory boards that review and approve proposed changes to systems. For new development systems or systems undergoing major upgrades, organizations consider including representatives from development organizations on the configuration control boards or change advisory boards. Audit logs of changes include activities before and after changes are made to organizational systems and the activities required to implement such changes. SP-800-128 provides guidance on configuration change control. 3.4.4 Analyze the security impact of changes prior to implementation. Discussion 
Organizational personnel with information security responsibilities, example, system administrators, system security officers, system security managers, and system security engineers, conduct security impact analyses. Individuals conducting security impact analyses possess the necessary skills and technical expertise to analyze the changes to systems and the associated security ramifications. Security impact analysis may include reviewing security plans to understand security requirements and reviewing system design documentation to understand the implementation of controls and how specific changes might affect the controls. Security impact analyses may also include risk assessments to better understand the impact of the changes and to determine if additional controls are required. SP-800-128 provides guidance on configuration change control and security impact analysis. 3.4.5 Define, document, approve, and enforce physical and logical access restrictions associated with changes to organizational systems. Discussion Any changes to the hardware, software, or firmware components of systems can potentially have significant effects on the overall security of the systems. Therefore, organizations permit only qualified and authorized individuals to access systems for purposes of initiating changes, including upgrades and modifications. Access restrictions for change also include software libraries. Access restrictions include physical and logical access control requirements, workflow automation, media libraries, abstract layers, example, changes implemented into external interfaces rather than directly into systems, and change windows, example, changes occur only during certain specified times. In addition to security concerns, commonly accepted due diligence for configuration management includes access restrictions as an essential part in ensuring the ability to effectively manage the configuration. SP-800-128 provides guidance on configuration change control. 3.4.6 Employ the principle of least functionality by configuring organizational systems to provide only essential capabilities. Discussion Systems can provide a wide variety of functions and services. Some of the functions and services routinely provided by default may not be necessary to support essential organizational missions, functions, or operations. It is sometimes convenient to provide multiple services from single system components. However, doing so increases risk over limiting the services provided by any one component. Where feasible, organizations limit component functionality to a single function per component. Organizations review functions and services provided by systems or components of systems to determine which functions and services are candidates for elimination. Organizations disable unused or unnecessary physical and logical ports and protocols to prevent unauthorized connection of devices, transfer of information, and tunneling. Organizations can utilize network scanning tools, intrusion detection and prevention systems, and endpoint protections such as firewalls and host-based intrusion detection systems to identify and prevent the use of prohibited functions, ports, protocols, and services. 3.4.7 Restrict, disable, or prevent the use of non-essential programs, functions, ports, protocols, and services. Discussion Restricting the use of non-essential software, programs, includes restricting the roles allowed to approve program execution, prohibiting auto-execute, program blacklisting and whitelisting, or restricting the number of program instances executed at the same time.
The organization makes a security-based determination which functions, ports, protocols, and or services are restricted. Bluetooth, File Transfer Protocol, FTP, and peer-to-peer -peer networking are examples of protocols organizations consider preventing the use of, restricting, or disabling. 3.4.8, Apply Deny by Exception, Blacklisting, Policy to Prevent the Use of Unauthorized Software or Denial, Permit by Exception, Whitelisting, Policy to Allow the Execution of Authorized Software. Discussion. The process used to identify software programs that are not authorized to execute on systems is commonly referred to as blacklisting. The process used to identify software programs that are authorized to execute on systems is commonly referred to as whitelisting. Whitelisting is the stronger of the two policies for restricting software program execution. In addition to whitelisting, organizations consider verifying the integrity of whitelist software programs using, for example, cryptographic checksums, digital signatures, or hash functions. Verification of whitelist software can occur either prior to execution or at system startup. SP 800-167 provides guidance on application whitelisting. 3.4.9 Control and monitor user-installed software. Discussion Users can install software in organizational systems if provided the necessary privileges. To maintain control over the software installed, organizations identify permitted and prohibited actions regarding software installation through policies. Permitted software installations include updates and security patches to existing software and applications from organization-approved app stores. Prohibited software installations may include software with unknown or suspect pedigrees or software that organizations consider potentially malicious. The policies organizations select governing user-installed software may be organization-developed or provided by some external entity. Policy enforcement methods include procedural methods, automated methods, or both. 3.5 Identification and Authentication Basic Security Requirements 3.5.1 Identify system users, processes acting on behalf of users, and devices. Discussion Common device identifiers include media access control, MAC, internet protocol, IP, addresses, or device unique token identifiers. Management of individual identifiers is not applicable to shared system accounts. Typically, individual identifiers are the usernames associated with the system accounts assigned to those individuals. Organizations may require unique identification of individuals in group accounts or for detailed accountability of individual activity. In addition, this requirement addresses individual identifiers that are not necessarily associated with system accounts. Organizational devices requiring identification may be defined by type, by device, or by a combination of type slash device. SP 863-3 provides guidance on digital identities. 3.5.2, authenticate or verify the identities of users, processes, or devices as a prerequisite to allowing access to organizational systems. Discussion. Individual authenticators include the following, passwords, keycards, cryptographic devices, and one-time password devices. Initial authenticator content is the actual content of the authenticator, for example, the initial password. In contrast, the requirements about authenticator content include the minimum password length.
Developers ship system components with factory default authentication credentials to allow for initial installation and configuration. Default authentication credentials are often well-known, easily discoverable, and present a significant security risk. System support authenticator management by organization defines settings and restrictions for various authenticator characteristics including minimum password length, validation time window for time-synchronous one-time tokens, and number of allowed rejections during the verification stage of biometric authentication. Authenticator management includes issuing and revoking, when no longer needed, authenticators for temporary access such as that required for remote maintenance. Device authenticators include certificates and passwords. SP-863-3 provides guidance on digital identities. Derived security requirements. 3.5.3 Use multi-factor authentication for local and network access to privileged accounts and for network access to non-privileged accounts. Discussion. Multi-factor authentication requires the use of two or more different factors to authenticate. The factors are defined as something you know, example, password, personal identification number, PIN, something you have, example, cryptographic identification device, token, or something you are, example, biometric. Multi-factor authentication solutions that feature physical authenticators include hardware authenticators providing time-based or challenge response authenticators and smart cards. In addition to authenticating users at the system level, i.e., at logon, organizations may also employ authentication mechanisms at the application level, when necessary, to provide increased information security. Access to organizational systems is defined as local access or network access. Local access is any access to organizational systems by users or processes acting on behalf of users, where such access is obtained by direct connections without the use of networks. Network access is access to systems by users or processes acting on behalf of users, where such access is obtained through network connections, i.e., non-local accesses. Remote access is a type of network access that involves communication through external networks. The use of encrypted virtual private networks for connections between organization-controlled and non-organization-controlled endpoints may be treated as internal networks with regard to protecting the confidentiality of information. Multi-factor authentication requires two or more different factors to achieve authentication. The factors include something you know, something you have, or something you are. The requirement for multi-factor authentication should not be interpreted as requiring Federal Personal Identity Verification PIV, Card or Department of Defense Common Access Card CAC, like solutions. A variety of multi-factor solutions, including those with replay resistance, using tokens and biometrics are commercially available. Such solutions may employ hard tokens, example, smart cards, key fobs, or dongles, or soft tokens to store user credentials. Local access is any access to a system by a user, or process acting on behalf of a user, communicating through a direct connection without the use of a network. Network access is any access to a system by a user, or a process acting on behalf of a user, communicating through a network, example, local area network, wide area network, internet. SP-863-3 provides guidance on digital identities. 
3.5.4 Employ replay-resistant authentication mechanisms for network access to privileged and non-privileged accounts. Discussion Authentication processes resist replay attacks if it is impractical to successfully authenticate by recording or replaying previous authentication messages. Replay-resistant techniques include protocols that use nonces or challenges such as time-synchronous or challenge-response one-time authenticators. SP863-3 provides guidance on digital identities. 3.5.5 Prevent reuse of identifiers for a defined period. Discussion Identifiers are provided for users, processes acting on behalf of users, or devices. 3.5.1 Preventing reuse of identifiers implies preventing the assignment of previously used individual, group, role, or device identifiers to different individuals, groups, roles, or devices. 3.5.6 Disable identifiers after a defined period of inactivity. Discussion Inactive identifiers pose a risk to organizational information because attackers may exploit an inactive identifier to gain undetected access to organizational devices. The owners of the inactive accounts may not notice if unauthorized access to the account has been obtained. 3.5.7 Enforce a minimum password complexity and change of characters when new passwords are created. Discussion This requirement applies to single-factor authentication of individuals using passwords as individual or group authenticators, and in a similar manner, when passwords are used as part of multi-factor authenticators. The number of changed characters refers to the number of changes required with respect to the total number of positions in the current password. To mitigate certain brute force attacks against passwords, organizations may also consider salting passwords. 3.5.8 Prohibit password reuse for a specified number of generations. Discussion Password lifetime restrictions do not apply to temporary passwords. 3.5.9 Allow temporary password use for system logons with an immediate change to a permanent password. Discussion Changing temporary passwords to permanent passwords immediately after system logon ensures that the necessary strength of the authentication mechanism is implemented at the earliest opportunity, reducing the susceptibility to authenticator compromises. 3.5.10 Store and transmit only cryptographically protected passwords. Discussion Cryptographically protected passwords use salted one-way cryptographic hashes of passwords. C. NIST Crypto. March 5, 11 Obscure Feedback of Authentication Information. Discussion. The feedback from systems does not provide any information that would allow unauthorized individuals to compromise authentication mechanisms. For some types of systems or system components, for example, desktop or notebook computers with relatively large monitors, the threat, often referred to as shoulder surfing, may be significant. For other types of systems or components, for example, mobile devices with small displays, this threat may be less significant and is balanced against the increased likelihood of typographic input errors due to the small keyboards. Therefore, the means for obscuring the authenticator feedback is selected accordingly. Obscuring authenticator feedback includes displaying asterisks when users type passwords into input devices or displaying feedback for a very limited time before fully obscuring it. We hope you enjoyed this production of NIST 800-171 Revision 2. 
Original text published in 2020 by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Production copyright 2023 by Cyber Defense Coach. For more cybersecurity audiobooks and information, visit cyberdefensecoach.com.